Welcome, James Gleason. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Phil. I want to say, just uh, to get started before I pray, that um, <clears throat> I've always considered your pastor to be a little strange. Um, <laughs> but that's a good thing. It really is. I was a student at Western Baptist College. It's Corbin now. Uh, in the early 80s, and uh, Pastor Phil came up. He had a regular week of Bible training, and he came up, and he played guitar, and he sang, but uh, the guys in the dorm thought uh, Pastor Phil was just a little strange because he was fun, and none of the other Bible teachers were fun. Uh, he knew the Word, loved the Word of God, loved the Lord, and he loved us. Uh, he played guitar, and he was a little crazy uh, in the way he did that, and yet the, the most impressive thing to us was in the evenings, he would hang out in the dorm. He didn't have to. That wasn't his job, but he would come and hang out in the dorm, and he would hang out with the guys, and he would just talk about life, and we'd ask questions, and he opened up his heart, and I, I always saw that. I thought, you know, that's weird. That is just strange. People don't do that. But he did it, and it's kind of like what Paul did when he opened up his heart to people. And uh, so I developed a great affection for you, Phil, as a, as a, as a mentor and as a friend and as, as a leader. And, and of course, then uh, I was in a singing group, and we traveled with the college, and we ended up uh, looking for a school uh, to come down here. And we were supposed to be singing in a school. Come to find out it wasn't in a school. It was actually in a theater. And so we showed up when you were meeting in the theater. And I'd never gone to church in a theater before. I thought that was kind of strange, too. But I was getting used to strange uh, with Pastor Phil. And uh, then he gets up and he plays this telly, a sweet telly, my friend. And I'd never seen a, a pastor, senior pastor, play an electric guitar, let alone a telly. And I think you blew an amp that night. Um, you probably did. That was strange, too. And uh, I developed a mentoring relationship with Adina College, Rich Rollins, and he ended up coming here. And uh, Rich said, hey, why don't you show up this weekend? We're going to be meeting over in our new building. And so I showed up the weekend you were there and uh, walked around and, and through the long course of everything, uh, met uh, Mary Beth and the Lees and, and uh, got plugged in the family, ended up getting married over there. And uh, so I just want to say thank you for being strange. Because n normal, it just it, we need to be disciples of Jesus Christ that are making disciples, impacting the world, right? And I don't think normal people uh, make an impact. I, I think people that are passionate for Jesus Christ, who are just a little bit on the good side of strange, uh, will really do a lot for the kingdom. And I want to thank you for, for being that. Uh, so I'd like to pray, and, and we'll open God's word. So Father... I want to thank you for this church, uh, Valley, and the way that you have impacted the community. You've made disciples through them for many, many, many years. And I, I know, God, the light of the gospel is here, and it will continue to go out for many generations to come. And so, Father, I pray that the, the crosses that are represented up here on this hillside would shine bright for Jesus uh, for generations uh, that we who possess your faith, the love of Jesus would give it to the next generation and so on and so forth to where we would see our grandchildren and great-grandchildren make a name for Christ and make disciples in his name. Uh, open our hearts to you, we pray in your name. Amen.
Now, I don't know if you've ever fallen down the stairs. Anybody ever had that unfortunate situation? Um, it's not because I'm getting older necessarily, but a few years ago, I was visiting some friends back east, and I was at their house, and I get up early, get up about five, and so the house was dark, the kids were asleep, my friend was asleep, and, and so I worked my way down the stairs, and as I was going down the stairs, it hadn't occurred to me that uh, beautifully polished wood and socks do not have a lot of traction. And so I'm going down the stairs trying to be quiet and I slipped and I fell. And you know that natural response is to support yourself. I reached back to stop my fall and I caused a whole lot more damage than I would have if I had just fallen. I ended up spraining my wrist and it took about three months to get over that. And so I'm cautious going downstairs now. But not long ago I fell down a different kind of staircase. It was an emotional staircase. I was having a great day. In fact, I was with my family at the coast, uh, at the Oregon Beach. How, how could that be so bad, right? I was taking a riding week, and I was, I was riding, and then some things came up on the internet, some things people were saying, and you know how that is in social media, and then through some personal relational uh, conflict, all of a sudden, I started spiraling down an emotional staircase. Have you ever had that happen? I went uh, from joy to uh, discouragement, to, dis to despair, and then actually into a little bit of depression all in about 30 minutes. And uh, two things pulled me out of it that day. Uh, the first was I had been reading in the Word of God that morning. I have a longstanding tradition to read through the Bible every year. And uh, my mom gave me a, a one-year Bible over 30 years ago, and I just keep plowing through it and start over again. And, and I was just reading through a passage. It was a psalm. And it so impacted me that morning, I didn't really realize how much until later in the day. And the words of that psalm just started floating through my mind. God brought back his words into my heart, and I started mulling them over and meditating on them. And the second thing that pulled me out of that despair and the despondency uh, was a, a dear friend. He, out of the blue, as we say, sent me a text, and he said, how you doing, friend? And in that moment, I decided to be honest. And I said, not, not doing well. And I just texted him a few things, and he started encouraging me. And those two things brought me out of my despondency. Have you ever fallen down an emotional staircase? Raise your hand, yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where the day started just beautifully, but someone or something kind of knocked it off kilter, and you ended up just in almost depression, you know, I believe the Word of God is beautiful. I believe it's practical. In fact, I would like to read for you the text that God had me read that morning that brought me out of my discouragement. And then I want to walk through some psalms with you today. So would you do me a favor of closing your eyes? I think it's easy when there are distractions to not listen. Uh, but if we close our eyes and focus, you can hear God's words. These are the words that I read that morning, and I want to read them to you. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. For I cried to him and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. This poor man cried to the Lord and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. For the angel the Lord guards and rescues all who reverence him. Oh, put God to the test and see how kind he is. See for yourself 
the way his mercies shower down on all who trust in him. If you belong to the Lord, reverence him. For everyone who does this has everything he needs. For the eyes of the Lord are intently watching all who live good lives. And he gives attention when they cry to him. The Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked. Heavy penalties are meted out to those who hate the good. But as for those who serve the Lord, he will redeem them. Everyone who takes refuge in him will be freely pardoned. You can open your eyes. Aren't those comforting words? Those were the words that I just happened to have read that morning. Isn't it amazing how God does that? And I just happened to be focused on how good God was and how much he comforted people in their despair. But that wasn't me, at least when I was reading it. But it was me when it started to come through my own heart, my own experience. And it's one of the reasons I love God's word, not, not just because it's true, but because it's practical, because it's beautiful, because it speaks in all of our situations and circumstances. This last week, as I was reading in Psalm, Psalm 6, I've got it on the screen for you, verses 3 to 4. Uh, it says, I am upset and disturbed. My mind is filled with apprehension and with gloom. Oh, restore me soon. Come, O oh Lord, and make me well. In your kindness, save me. I don't know if you can relate to that. Anybody have feelings like that where you're just crying out for God to save you, to rescue you? Anybody ever feel like your mind is filled with apprehension and with gloom? I know that I was taught early on as a follower of Jesus Christ that those who know the Lord will have joy unending. <laughs> and then I didn't. <laughs> and I struggled. Because I had been taught that if you follow the Lord, only good things will happen to you. And then they didn't. And I wrestled with that. And then I taught that if you receive this message of Jesus, life will just be a bed of roses. And it wasn't. And I began to wonder why what I had been taught wasn't my experience. And then I fell in love with the Psalms and realized this is real life, my friends. We have ups and we have downs. Those that love the Lord, we will have times of incredible, incredible growth and joy. And we will have times of deep despair and despondency. It's perhaps true for us today that uh, in our relationships, there's a little bit of uh, distance. There's a little bit of relational decay. It could be possible in your working environment that uh, the stress of work is really overcoming you. It could be perhaps in your family and your friendships that the reality of what lies ahead of you is frightening and you need strength from the Lord. A survey was done not uh, too long ago, and people in honesty asked the question, if you've ever felt depressed, and 85% quickly said yes. The other 15% were too depressed to answer. <laughs> My friends, a head hung in despair has a difficult time seeing God, but he is there. That's why I love the Psalms. The Psalms speak the language of the heart, and one of the most difficult emotions the Psalms describe for us and help us to experience is when we feel like God has let us down. When we feel like God has failed us or when we even feel like God has abandoned us. I was never taught 
to enter into that time. I was never prepared for what happened when I thought that God wasn't there. And I spiraled down. But then I read the Psalms. You know, our world, our culture does not do a very good job of preparing us for suffering or even actually walking with us through suffering. In fact, I would think that our modern Western culture is perhaps the worst culture ever to actually deal with suffering and give us an explanation. I was training pastors in Africa. I've been doing that for the last uh, 10 plus years. And I was in Tanzania, a little town called Mwanza, and I had been training pastors, about 30 pastors, for a few days. And the pastor came to me who was leading it. Joseph came and said, uh, Pastor James, uh, we need to stop after lunch and uh, we might not get back to our training today because uh, a woman in our village passed away in the night and we all have to be there. And so I, as an American, as a pastor, I'd been to funerals. I'd done a lot of funerals. I was prepared, or so I thought. So we walked down the road after lunch, a few kilometers. We ended up at this little village, and I was not prepared for what I was about to experience. In that African culture, beauty showed up. Life showed up. Pain showed up. As the pastor began to deliver this message, the woman's body was laid out there. The family was gathered around. And there were times of intense wailing and mourning and screaming and crying. I'd done a lot of funerals. I'd never experienced that before. We're good at, you know, dressing in the dark clothes and, and just holding it all in. And we shed tears, but we don't explode with pain. They were exploding with their suffering and their sorrow. And this community gathered together and they started singing worship songs. And as they sang, they started smiling. They started laughing. They started experiencing joy. I'd never experienced laughter at a funeral before. The whole gamut of emotions were expressed in this amazing funeral that I've never, ever seen before. If it hadn't been for my pastor friends in Tanzania. I think that we are a culture that's obsessed with comfort. We are obsessed with pleasure. It's frightening to enter into a season of pain. It's frightening to have this emotion. And so we as a culture run from our pain. We deny our pain. We even take medicine so we don't feel pain. But I think if we run from that, we miss out on the beautiful lessons that we can only learn in the middle of pain, in the middle of grieving. And the Psalms are beautiful at teaching us how to press in on the pain and lean into the loneliness and experience God. One of the more difficult metaphors of the Old Testament to experience here in our American culture is the metaphor of the desert or often called the wilderness. I, I, I googled the word wilderness. You can see it here on the screen. The word wilderness uh, shows up this way. You can see this. Look at these images. I like that. That's, that's, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I live in Portland area. You, you can experience that within 30 minutes. If God calls me to that wilderness, I'm going hands down, right? I look at that. I mean, there's streams, there's beautiful flowers, there's rich fields, there's beautiful mountains. I like that wilderness, but that is not the wilderness that's described in the Bible or experienced in the Bible. This right here, my friends, is a picture of the wilderness that Moses was in. This is the wilderness of Moses. I, I, I don't doubt now why they cried out <laughs> for food and water. This is the wilderness of the Sinai. This is the desert. There is no life there that can be found. And God led his people through the wilderness. 
Uh, this next picture is the wilderness that David experienced as he was running from, fleeing from King Saul, a madman who was the king, been appointed by God. David knew that he was eventually going to be king, but for a season he had to hide out with his troops. And this is where David lived. Occasionally he would find himself in a little place called En Gedi where the waters flowed, but for the most part David found God in the wilderness. And he wrote these beautiful psalms in places like this. A few years ago, I went to Israel and went on a tour of the life of Christ. And this is the wilderness that Jesus experienced for 40 days and nights where he was led by the Holy Spirit out to this place and he was tempted by the devil. This is where God, the Father, and the Spirit led his Son to experience something that could only be experienced in the wilderness. And my friends, if we never walk through the wilderness, we will only experience God as our friend and God as our helper, the one who makes our life better. But when we learn to walk with God through these deep times, we discover that God is more than enough. For me, one of the most beautiful psalms of the wilderness is Psalm 42 and 43. And if you could open your Bible and turn there, I'll have the verses on the screen in a few moments from the NIV, but you could open up your own Bible, Psalm 42 and 43. And as you turn there, I want to just tell you a few things up front, three things about this section. Number one, most Bible commentators think it was really just one psalm, has the same author, the same theme, just 16 small verses. But these are verses of a man or a group of men who cried out to the Lord in their despair. And these are beautiful words. Second thing I want you to discover is that these were written by the sons of Korah or one of the men there, the sons of Korah. Who's Korah? Korah is an Old Testament man, one of the leaders at the time of Moses who stood against Moses, who ended up leading 250 other people against Moses, who God judged when the earth opened up and they fell in. That would not be a good legacy to live beyond, right? But there were descendants of Korah. And for me, it was an encouraging thing to really realize this, that your parents don't have to, and their legacy, define you nor confine you. My own father's legacy is one that I did not follow in. I was able to follow in a different legacy of a follower of Jesus Christ. For years, I felt confined and defined by my dad's sin. But I'll tell you this, that when you walk with the Lord, he will give you a new heritage. He will give you a new legacy. And the third thing is this, is that the word that shows up again and again and again is this idea of being downcast. Uh, some of the translations call it despair or discouraged. It literally means to feel like you're thrown to the ground. You're just tossed down in the dust. You're downcast. That everything is against you. That the world is against you. That maybe even God is against you as you feel this. That you had a position and now you are low in the dust. Today we might even call that depression, thrown to the ground. So let me read these, make a few comments here and there, and share some encouragement for you of how you can walk through this. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up your words, as we see and discover, once again I pray that you would speak truth to us. That you would help us in moments of honesty, not just to fly by the words, but to experience them with you. This world needs to see followers of Jesus who are living in, in both good and bad times. To see disciples who walk 
in moments of joy, but also in sorrow and sadness. This world experiences what we experience, Father. This is human. This is life. This is reality in a broken world. May we walk away walking a new path in the middle of this discouragement. In the middle of our pain and suffering, may we shine the light and the hope of Jesus Christ because of your words, we pray. Amen. So, beautiful words. Let's just read these together. Let me read it here. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Beautiful picture, beautiful metaphor. The Psalms are filled with these metaphors of a deer who's panting for water. I used to think of this and think, what a beautiful thing. A deer has gone down to the river again, living from the Portland area. He's gone down and he's hanging out with his deer buddies and they're just drinking at the water. <laughs> That's not what is going on. This deer is desperate. This deer is dying of thirst. He's panting. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Anybody that's done any pastoral counseling or biblical counseling would know that when someone is up all night long and not eating, something is wrong. <laughs> Physically, something's wrong. Emotionally, something's wrong. Spiritually, something's wrong. All this guy is eating is tears. All this guy can taste is the tears. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is this God of yours? Where is this one you cry out to? Where is this one you're living for? I have a mentor group. One of my sons is in a discipleship group of six young high school guys. And uh, one of the guys, he's just very passionate for Jesus. His dad is an atheist. And spending time with him, he experiences this a lot. He's on fire for Christ, and then he goes home, and his dad just tries to knock it all out from underneath his feet. Where is this God of yours? You could be in this at school. You could be in this at work, having coworkers. You could be in this at family, your neighborhood, where people are denying God, and they look at you, and they scoff. And when you go down, they go, hey, where is this God of yours? This is what he's experiencing. He describes this time of spiritual dryness and this metaphor of the deer is that he is like a deer. He's dying of thirst. He does not feel God anymore. A deer instinctively drinks constantly, and he's parched. He's in a drought. The author is the deer, and if the author is the deer, then God is the stream. And the stream seems to be dried up, that he is no longer experiencing the presence of God. It's gone. He just doesn't feel God anymore. The ancients called this the dark night of the soul. A period, a season where you feel like God has left you. This is church, so you can be honest. Certainly don't lie. Um, how many of you have ever gone through that dark night of the soul? Absolutely. When you know in your head and your heart that God is real, but you don't see him, you don't feel him. He's lamenting the loss of the reality and the presence of God in his life. And as a follower of Christ, if you live any season, you will discover this. He goes on, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I love that visual. As I pour out my soul, I'm pouring out my soul. This is what I remember. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God 
with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He's going back in his memory. He's saying, it wasn't always like this. I remember how I used to go, we'll put it in our terms, I used to go to church. And I used to hear the messages. And I used to sing the songs. In fact, he's a worship leader. I used to play guitar up here. I used to play piano. I used to lead the congregation in worship. I remember how it was when I was up here amongst the multitude of believers. But he's not there anymore. He's in a distant place. We'll see in a moment. He's up north. He's separated. We don't know why, but he's separated from the temple of God, from the presence of God, the representation of God among his people. And he's pouring out his soul to God. One of the difficult things for you and me today in America is that we live in a very individualistic culture. We live in a culture where it's about us, and if we can care for ourselves, we're okay. And yet the community of faith is not about us. It's about God, and it's about each other. It's about the one another's that we experience when we come together. And we have to fight to be together because the busyness of life will tear us apart and will pull us apart. And if we do not come together as the family of God, we will experience this discouragement and depression. He says this in verse 5. This is the beautiful part of this. He says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? Why are you despondent? Why are you in despair? Why have you been thrown down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I like this. He talks to himself. Anybody talk to yourself? It's okay. Just don't answer yourself. No, actually, he does that too, which is really good. He reminds himself of God. He, he talks to himself. He asks himself questions. He once again goes back and he says, why, why? But here's the answer. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He goes back. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This man takes confidence in the truth. He's not experiencing it right now. But he's expressing it nonetheless. He's talking to himself, reminding himself of how good God is. That God's word is true. And then he goes back to the pain. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride. I like those. Especially the wooden ones. A couple years ago, my family and I went down to Magic Mountain. Went down there and as we walk in, uh, we were prepared for roller coasters. But not prepared for that one. The first one, the X2. And as we looked up at this roller coaster as we were under, one of my sons said... I want to ride that even if it makes me cry. <laughs> and as the dad, I thought, well, now I have to do it. And I rode that and it made me cry. <laughs> it was intense. But that's a good roller coaster, right? The highest of heights and it shoves you down to the lowest of lows and spins you around as you go through it all. That's what this guy's experiencing. A worship leader of God who hung out in the temple of God, who is part of the leadership of Israel of the worship, and now he's spiraling. He goes on to say this, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I wasn't taught that that was okay to say that to God, because I know it's not true, but it's okay to say that to God. It's okay to cry out honestly to God. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go out about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? 
My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. He's physically feeling the ailment of his depression, his discouragement. He's not sleeping. He's up all night. He's not eating. The only food is his tears. He's crying out to God all hours of the day and night. His body is racked with pain. This is intense, my friends. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He comes back to that. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. And then in the next chapter, verse 1, it says, Vindicate me, O God. Be my judge. Be the one that defends me. God, I need you to show up to reveal the truth. My enemies are pressing in. I'm not doing a very good job with this. I need you to take a stand for me, God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? I hope you could be as honest. I've learned to be that honest with God. Because of words like this. I think in American culture, in our Western civilization, we don't resonate very well with words like this because we don't picture God this way. And in fact, a friend helped me with this years ago when I was taking travels to East Africa and training pastors. Uh, very uh, different and distinct uh, cultural understandings. Very much like the Old Testament, in fact, like the Gospels. Uh, let, let me put you to the test here and see if you can understand this as I learned this. Uh, close your eyes and I want to describe God to you and picture whatever comes into mind as I describe God. Here's the first description of God. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. Okay, open up your eyes. I don't know what you thought of. I couldn't think of anything. Those are abstract thoughts. Those are abstract concepts. We in the West think that way. We think in bullet points. We think in outlines. We think in theory. But in the East, in the Hebrew culture, they think in concrete terms. Let me do that again. Close your eyes. What comes to your mind when I say God is my rock? God is my fortress. God is my strong tower that I run into. God is my shield. You see, those are emotions of the heart, aren't they? That's how the psalmist describes God. You're my fortress that I run to. You're the rock. You're my stronghold. He says, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. And then he comes back and finishes it with these words. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Just 16 little verses, but verses of honesty, verses of transparency. But when I first read these years ago, they were verses that made me uncomfortable. Verses that unsettled my heart. I didn't think you could talk like that to God. I didn't think it was safe to talk to God like that. I didn't think God would even understand what I was feeling. I hope you're able to talk to God like this because God is a safe God to be honest to. 
Because he knows it all. He made us as emotional creatures. Last year, my family, we went through a great little book, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's Songs of Jesus for our dinnertime devotions. It's on the screen there. Uh, it's a great book, 30, 365 uh, little devotions through the Psalms. And uh, as, as Tim and Kathy describe it and define it and go through it. In fact, I put uh, the ones for Psalm 42 and 43 right there in your insert of your bulletin there with a few uh, extra questions I prepared for you that you could take home this week. Uh, but I, I love this quote that the Kellers put in here. It says, the psalmist made God his stronghold a safe shelter. When we put our trust in the living God, we know that nothing, here it is, nothing can come into that stronghold without God's permission, limitation, and purpose. And we would like to change that and say, nothing can come into the stronghold. <laughs> but that's not how it is. Without God's permission, without God's limitation, without God's purpose, He will allow us to walk through these times. As I read through the Psalms and I read through these two, I want to give you some encouragement. I would say cures for spiritual depression and discouragement from Psalm 42, 43. I just wrote a list here for you. Just as I went through the verses, I just discovered a few thoughts. First of all, my friends, learn to pour out your soul to God. In spite of feeling distant from God in the middle of all this, he constantly prayed to his God. He just poured out his soul to God. He prayed even when he didn't feel anything or when he felt the worst feelings. Talk to yourself. Again, that's okay. If somebody complains, just say, hey, I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. Not only does he talk to God, he talks to himself. He asks himself questions. He preaches to his own soul. I love that. We just finished the book of Galatians at my church up in the Portland area. And uh, one of the things that I said again and again is that you have to constantly preach the gospel to yourselves. I know we know it. I know we received it. But if you don't preach the gospel to yourself every day, you might forget your need for the gospel. You might forget your need for the cross. You might forget your need for a Savior. And then what will the world see in you? The world needs to see the cross in you. We need to preach the message to ourselves so we do not forget it. He asks himself questions. Why am I so discouraged? What's going on? He talks to himself. He puts his hope in God. I love this little side note here. In 1 Samuel 30, uh, David is uh, going to be uh, attacked and probably killed by his mighty men because as they've come back from raiding the enemy, they've been raided, and all the men are so frustrated, upset. Their wives and children and all their goods are gone. They're going to turn on their leader, David. And it says that David went away, and he quieted himself, quieted himself before the Lord. He got alone with the Lord, and he found strength in the Lord. And then he came back and he led his mighty men to victory. We need to do that. Meditate on who God is. Just reflect on God. You notice in the psalm he keeps going back to these themes of who God is. Even though he's not feeling it, he goes back to this is the God I love and serve. God is my rock even if I don't feel like I'm on a strong foundation. Meditate, number five, on what God has done. Just pour out your soul to God. Remind yourself of his goodness. I think we want to run away when we're in the desert times. I certainly do. We want to run to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee, right? Make it all better. There's no 7-Eleven in the desert, my friends. When you're in the wilderness, there might not even be a stream. And you might feel like that deer that's panting for water, longing for the presence of God. But we are never so aware of God's presence as when we journey with Him through the desert. Questions to ponder. Through my years of pastor counseling and biblical counseling, 
I'll often ask people questions as we go through their experience. And these are some questions to ponder while in the wilderness. Is it a season? We all go through seasons, don't we? If you've been a follower of Christ for any number of years, you know you go through seasons. We go through seasons of joy. We go through seasons of discouragement. Seasons of pleasure. Seasons of danger. Uh, just as there are four seasons in the world, any farmer worth his salt knows exactly what to do in the seasons. You'll know that not every season is a harvest. There's, there's work in every season. But not every season will bring the joy of what we've been working for, right? It could just be a season. Is it a sin? The Bible describes this. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin will eat away at us like cancer. Is it selfishness? You're too focused on yourself and your own needs, not ministering to others? Is it all about you and you alone? Or are you pouring out your heart to other people? Is it stubbornness, a lack of discipline? Spending time in the Word of God every day, praying, going through prayer lists, praying for the believers here, the believers around the world, missionaries, people that are doing the work of the gospel. Are you praying for your neighborhoods, praying for your church? Are you fellowshipping together? Are you staying consistent in the discipline of meeting together? Not giving up on that? Are you serving? Are you using your hands in the ministry of God? Are you giving? Is it God's spirit? Something I didn't like to hear was that simple fact that sometimes God allows us to experience dryness as a way to strengthen us and grow us up and he might lead us. If you don't believe that, look at the life of Jesus. The Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness to be tempted so that he would be present with his son and his son would be victorious. Maybe he is leading you out to the desert for your ultimate good. We all struggle in life. None of us gets a free pass on this. For some of us in this room, we've gone through depression or discouragement. Some of us have gone through some physical ailments. Some have gone through cancer. Some of us have lost people to cancer. We've lost to divorce. We've lost a child. We've all struggled. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to cry out to God. The question becomes, where can I find hope in the middle of this struggle? Well, I'd like to do a little exercise with you. I'd like you to stand, and in, the, in just the next few moments, I'd like to guide you through uh, just a little hope from God's Word. So would you stand with me? If you can stand, go ahead. It's just going to be a few minutes. I would like you to close your eyes, and I want to pray for you. Before I do that, I want, to, I want to get a picture in your heart and in your mind so that you will have hope in the middle of the desert and the wilderness. I want you to remember this story from the Gospels. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus is praying. His disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And as Jesus is up on the mountain praying, his disciples are going through a storm. An intense storm, a storm of suffering, a storm where the waves are crashing in, where the wind is blowing, where the water is starting to rise. And they in their despair are crying out. They think they're going down for the last time. They are in a moment where they need salvation. And what we see in the scripture is so beautiful is that Jesus walks on the water to them. And I want to remind you of a few things. If you feel like you're in the wilderness or in the desert, or you feel like you're in a boat all alone and the storms are all around you, I want to remind you of this. Though you may not be able to see Jesus right now, Jesus sees you. The, the sky might be dark. 
The winds might be howling around, but there is a Savior that knows exactly where you are. You know, you may not be able to get to Jesus right now, but you have a Jesus who can get to you. He can walk on water to get to you, my friends. You are not to be left alone. He will come to you. And the most important thing is this, my friends. When Jesus gets into the boat, he's going to stop the storm. He is going to calm the waters. And even though you're in the middle of the storm right now, trust me, the suffering and the feeling of abandonment, I can't guarantee when it's going to lift, but I will guarantee it will lift. It always does because Jesus will show up and he will come in to the boat and he will sit with you and he will calm every storm. The curtain of despair will rise. Behind the veil you will see the Lord Jesus Christ who has been with you and has loved you through all of it. Never forget that Jesus, what is he called? A man of sorrows. He was the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected. He experienced temptation just like we did. He experienced pain. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. Isaiah tells us he was pierced. He was crushed. He was beaten. He was whipped so we could be whole. If you feel like you're out in the desert, you feel like God has turned his face away from you, take comfort in this, my friends. You have a Savior. You have a Jesus who experienced exactly what you're going through right now. When he was on the cross in the most painful moment of his life, when the Father poured our sin upon him and turned away, in the darkest moment, he uttered these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, you have a Jesus who knows exactly what you're going through. A Jesus who bore all the pain for you, who took your sin upon his own back. If you've never come to that place of coming to Jesus, you have a Jesus who knows. You could be here and, and the whole church experience is brand new for you. I mean, we are so glad you're here. You know exactly what I'm talking about because what I'm talking about is not just what believers go through. People who are far from God who are stuck in the cycles of sin, experience it too. But we have something you can have, my friends, and that is a Jesus who's died for us, who's gone before and who has calmed the storm of sin in our lives, who has conquered death, who has paid the penalty so we could walk in freedom. Father, we pour out our heart to you today. You entered the wilderness so we could be saved, and so in these moments we cry out to you. Father God, we express the true range of our emotions to you, whether they're good words or bad words, whatever they are. Just like the psalmist, we cry out truth to you. We cry out pain to you. We cry out words reminding ourselves of who you are and what you've already done in our lives. And we will stand confident on the rock. We will run into the fortress. We will be protected by your shield because that is who you are. You are a God who cares and a God who hears. Father, we pray that those who have walked through a season of discouragement, who are in the middle of it right now, would cry out to you. Father, we pray for those in our midst who don't even have the energy to look up to you, would in their own heart cry out words of truth. Father, for those who have never come to know you, would come to see you as this God who has given everything for them. Most of all, Lord, we pray that in the days to come, we would be a light to others and we would be an example 
to those who don't live perfect lives, but live lives with a perfect God who walks with us through all the storms of life. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.